This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are into November. We are on to week three. The Maryland Terrapins making their way to Happy Valley on Saturday for a matchup against Penn State in Beaver Stadium. It's a game that we're going to focus in on quite a bit in episode number two this week. And you're probably into our game week flow at this point. We look back a little bit on Tuesdays, catch you up on everything going on from the press conference, and then really dive into the game preview later on. And of course, post-game podcast coming your way. Fortunately, earlier this Saturday than it came last Saturday into Sunday morning. Sean, you have your second look feature, which is always a good read each week. Painful read, uh, perhaps, right now for Penn State fans. We're going to talk about some some takeaways from the James Franklin press conference in a moment, and there were a few, but let's start here. Um, you're still working on that piece. It, it usually ends up around 3,000 words for you. What words stand out thus far? Well, the the toughness is the word that stands out so far, and I'm and I'm not going to spend too much time on it because I think our people are trying to put Ohio State behind them. We're trying to put that Ohio State game behind them, and as much film as I've watched on that, I would very much like to put Ohio State the game behind me. Uh, just it, it's it's concerning when you take a look at how Ohio State won. Um, you know, it, it's funny because we we came in we came on after the game and we said they just got pounded up front and both sides of the ball, et cetera, et cetera, and and that's true to an extent, but on. Honestly, when Ohio State did what they did to get out to a two touchdown lead, that really wasn't the case. I mean, it's just uh, you know that that talent gap showing up. I mean, you, you got beat physically, and that that certainly happened. I mean, I'm, I don't want to gloss over that because that's a, a huge theme in the game. Um, but like that, when you take and compare different units of this team or these teams, uh, for example, my biggest thing, uh, the linebackers at Penn State, and I and and I know they didn't have Jesse Lucetta for the first half, and he came in and, and played admirably and everything like that. But just co- putting side by side the linebackers from each school, uh, that's concerning if you're Penn State moving forward. I mean, you've got to get something more out of Ellis Brooks and 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 you know Smith and Dixon obviously are are not experienced, but just out of position, out of it, and, and that was from the start. And that's, uh, I think, that's probably what's concerning. Some of those those plays they really made easy on Ohio State. I mean, you just look at the first play, uh, the jet sweep there for the big gain uh, to Garrett Wilson. I mean, they they had two guys in the end of the line that didn't even have to block anybody. I mean, that's just just running Penn State running themselves out of place. And when you're Penn State and you have, you know, you're missing Michael Parsons, you're missing some of your top guys on offense, whatever. But you can't put yourself in that position. You, your margin of error, especially without those guys, is so much smaller than a, than a program like Ohio State. And I think that's really what showed up. And that was the most glaring thing to me is you got these little mistakes here and there. You've got Lamont Wade, um, you know, with a pass interference on third down, and then Ohio State all of a sudden taking that ball for five more minutes and turning it into seven points. I mean, that that's just certainly the, the or absolutely the thing you can't do against Ohio State is give them extra chances, give those, uh, give them something to uh, to sort of build on. And I think that's 
that's probably the big, I don't know what happened just there. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing when I take a look at this game. And, and James Franklin kind of mentioned that on Tuesday. Yes, the, there was the physical aspect of it. Ohio State's, especially in their interior defensive line, really put it to Penn State. But at the same time, there were a lot of mental things that you didn't catch on the first time around. And and when you go back over, and I think this is just natural, you you kind of find some things to be a little bit more optimistic about. And, you know, in, in this case, the optimism is I'm surprised it wasn't a more than a 13-point game. Um, but, you know, they 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 held tough in there and they did some they did some decent things. I thought Sean Clifford may have been a little bit better than we gave him credit for. Was he playoff better? Absolutely not. But he did some some better things than than I think you and I both expected uh once we've viewed the game in the first time. So I think there's there's some things to build on. You're not going to play Ohio State again this year, which is I think the biggest thing to build on. Um, but I think there's some some positives that go into that. And you've got Maryland coming in this weekend, so it's a good chance to sort of turn that around, uh, sort of flesh out what they're trying to do, maybe get some more guys into the game. Um, Penn State rolled with Devin Ford for the most part at running back. We didn't see Kevon Lee and, and Keziah Holmes get carries against Ohio State. So I think that's the sort of thing that you can expect to see as they sort of open it up when they get into the, not I don't want to call it the softer part of the schedule, but the part of the schedule without Ohio State. We dedicated about 45 minutes a late Saturday night uh, on that Ohio State matchup, the things that, that took place, Justin Fields, Sean Clifford, everything in between. Uh, so if you really feel the need to go back and, and, and listen to that, or you missed it and you want to get a uh, more full-scale reaction to the Ohio State-Penn State matchup and that 38-25 to loss, which I agree with Sean, it felt like a wider margin. It probably should have been a wider margin. Ohio State missed a couple short field goals. And, and the mental mistakes, I don't even know if we even got to this on Saturday, a couple of of game penalties. We definitely talked about the substitution issue on the Jeremy Ruckert touchdown, one of his two touchdowns for Ohio State. Uh, but consider that a bit of a preview of a larger, more expansive conversation that Sean will lay out in his second look coming your way this week on Lines 24-7. I wanted to turn the page and get into some press conference takeaways, Sean, if that's okay. If there's something else you wanted to hit on uh, here as well, that'd be that, that's great. But, but some of the things you did just mention correlate to what we heard today from Franklin. No, I think I'm good with that. I just, uh, Ohio State's really freaking good, man. I, and I, we knew that. I mean, this is not a surprise. This is not me breaking news or anything like that. But when you've got a player like Justin Fields, and, and that's a, a great example of, of, of what they're trying to do. You look at Penn State's fourth and two, uh, very early in the game, and they try just to get, get the ball out to Devin Ford in the flat, kind of screen him with Pat Frymuth. That's one thing. You turn around, and I think in the second quarter, Ohio State's running a third and one. At very first, very first play of the second quarter, Ohio State's running a third and one, and they run a like a basically a back shoulder wheel route where they get twenty yards out. I mean, when you've got that talent, when you've got that ability, um, it it just provides you with with worlds of possibilities. And Penn State isn't at that spot yet. And I, you know, I hope, I hope they get there. I hope the offense gets in a little bit more sync. But uh, yeah, that's it's it's a long road ahead of them. Justin Fields was practically flawless on Saturday night as a passer. As we said, didn't need to flash that 4-4 speed, that other half of the tremendous dual threat skill set that makes him a Heisman Trophy a contender. But we saw a lot of Sean Clifford running with the football, and on Tuesday afternoon, uh, he doubled down. And by he, I mean James Franklin, doubled down on that usage of Sean Clifford as a runner immediately after this one in the postgame on Saturday night. Franklin saying that was going to be a big part of their game plan entering the felt like it's something that they wanted to be aggressive with. And today, again, he said, uh, you know, it's a week-to-week process, but on Saturday against Ohio State, the plan was certainly 
to lean on Sean Clifford as a runner to try to utilize his legs. We saw a lot more of him on the move against Indiana, occasionally resulting in some good plays, uh, but also some plays where you're just wondering, is that a wasted down? He's taken a lot of shots and there's not really anyone proven behind him. Sean, what do you make of this? Because, you know, Kirk Shiraka, if memory serves correctly a couple times this offseason, really seemed to point out that that he intended to use Clifford less as a runner, opening him up to fewer shots than he has experienced in the past and really what Penn State quarterbacks have experienced in the past, going back to Trace McSorley before Sean Clifford. And we've said this a couple times, each of the last two seasons, you get to the latter stages of your season, your quarterback's not even close to 100%, and that has caused issues for the offensive capabilities. Uh, again, Franklin reiterating, they wanted to use Clifford as a runner against this athletic of a defense at Ohio State. Uh, we did not see Kevon Lee. We did not see Kazai Holmes touch the ball. The two talented freshman running backs, Devin Ford wasn't very effective outside of a 23-yard gain, I believe it was, in the first quarter. Uh, is this as surprising to you as it is to me? No, actually, because I, I think last week we had talked about what Nebraska was able to do, especially out of that quarterback slash wildcat run, and they had a ton of success. And, and so, and Patrick Murphy mentioned that he, as well, like maybe that's an area that you that Penn State could have some success. I think, yeah, and I think that was there for some of it. And honestly, there was a there was a play in the first quarter where Clifford got tripped up, and that's you know that that took away a big gain where, and and then they later came back to that same play and picked up I think eleven yards. So I think the quarterback run. Um, it is more of a product of their situation right now without Noah Kane, obviously without Journey Brown, you're going to have to get something there. Now, also, you have to balance back and, and sort of balance that out with Devin Ford and the rest of that running game. So I don't, I don't, I'm not crazy about Sean Clifford getting 17 carries, but that week in what you were trying to do, um, to, to, to keep, whatever weaknesses that defense, whatever weaknesses that team had uh, and try to exploit them. I think the quarterback run was probably the way to go. Was it executed correctly? Not exactly. I mean, they, they got a couple nice chunks out of it, but uh, for the most part, that's not it. The The problem that I see is still Sean Clifford at times and, and what he has 17 carries, but a few of those were scrambles where he's backing up and bailing. And that's just going to be the thing that we keep seeing with him is even when he has a pocket and they did some decent pass protection at times on Saturday night, even when he has a pocket, he's bailing, he's trying to get out and he's getting stuff for a yard, you know, sacks are included in that uh, just right around the line of scrimmage. So the designed aspect of the quarterback run, I had no problem with whatsoever. Some of those other ones, uh, th- that's definitely on his decision-making and his ability to, to, to be comfortable in the pocket. They got him on the move on that fourth down in their own territory that you mentioned. It, they ended up facing pressure and throwing the ball nowhere near in particular to a Penn State target. The 18 total carries. This is factoring in, you know, when he's feeling that pressure. This is factoring in sack yardage, but five total yards. Uh, very different than against Indiana when he surpassed 100 yards, had that 35 yard touchdown run. And then Devin Ford, only eight carries for 36 yards, and no one else out of that backfield uh, at the running back position getting involved, uh, touching the ball in any way. And, uh, you know, I think when we saw Sean Clifford be able to, to, to you know, get, uh, actually evaluate some reads, throw the ball, we, we saw some nice plays develop for Parker Washington in particular coming out in that second half as well and moving the ball through the air. Um, but but it, it bail is, a, is an appropriate word there, and it's one that I've seen repeatedly come up on our Lions 24-7 message boards, along with other words, uh, mind you. But bail is one I've seen applied to, to Sean Clifford's approach. 
And it just seems like uh, you know, that is, if that's a trend, it's really going to debilitate what Kirk Shiraka's offense can look like, where this passing game can grow from one side of the field to the other. And if you look at the success that they had, I mean, that's getting the ball out of his hands before he has a chance to do that. And that, you know, some of those short crossers and things like that. And that's where you're going to be most effective, especially. I think everybody's coming together right now in terms of like trying to figure out what this offense is and what they're trying to do. And I don't mean that in the sense that, you know, everybody's gelling or whatever. You're still trying to figure out what works for you guys with the personnel that you have. And that's going to be a challenge with no non-conference, with no anything, no spring ball to play with. I think that's that's really showing up right now. It's And it's pretty glaring. So that's really unfortunate from that uh, from that aspect. I mean, you've got new philosophies, you got all this stuff. And, and when you can't, do what you think your strength could be, which is controlling the line of scrimmage and running the football. And I understand Ohio State is talent, more talented than any program you're going to come against this year. But at the same time, when you can't get anything like that going, and I guess it's it's funny to me because you've got the – and I, I don't want to harp too much on Ohio State. But when you've got a situation like Ohio State and Indiana, those are two very different games. I mean, Penn State – owned Indiana in terms of like the the offensive line was good defensive line was good just they turned the ball over Clifford you know was not taking care of the football and it killed them the other game they took care of the football pretty well sands that uh that interception late in the game but that offensive line just couldn't move anybody and and really just that interior defensive line had their way with them so I think that's the biggest thing is is we're lumping these two games together because they're two losses and you know Penn State should be one and one right now obviously but it's very different in the way that they've approached these things and I think that's um, promising on one end, concerning on the other, because you want a little bit more consistency, especially early in the season. These aren't carbon copies by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, these are, and Indiana, by the way, up to number 13 right now. We'll see how long they last there in the AP Top 25, but Ohio State certainly looks like a national championship contender like they did last year. And you're right, these are different losses. These are different ways to get to a loss. Penn State uh, really just struggled to, to keep up over the course of this game through 60 minutes. They were trailing a minute and a half in, and, and it was a two-score deferential for most of the way, whereas the Indiana game, you could point to this, that, and the other thing, as if they went the other way, Penn State could have controlled that game or won it in regulation. Sean, I'm going to bring it back to a few words that you just referenced, new philosophies, uh, no non-conference, uh, new offense. These were all alluded to by James Franklin on Tuesday afternoon when he fielded a question about the inability to control the line of scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, the offensive line was particularly in focus with that question and, and you know, he, no spring game, no spring practices preceding it. And, and we've got this first year offensive line coach, but look, everybody's on an even playing field in terms of time they've been able to spend on the field in the Big Ten. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the addition of Phil Troutwine and maybe taking this group to another level. Seven more games to see what happens. It's an experienced group. So, there's not a lot of mystery around these guys who we see on the field right now, but what are you seeing from the offensive line through two games? Did you see a step back, a step uh, forward from the Indiana game? And again, taking in consideration that these are two very different defensive fronts they're encountering, and yet I do want to note the Ohio State-Penn State matchup has, has often been defined by that inability to control the line of scrimmage, whether it's putting a game away late or establishing yourself early. 
Well, that's a great question because, uh, like I said, I thought they played better than than most people thought they did against Indiana after taking another look at it. And Indiana's a sound football team in the sense they don't have the stars that, that Ohio State uh, has, but I think it's a good gauge for, for where you kind of – it's a good starting place. Now, definitely took a step back this weekend. I don't think there's any question about it. Um, you know, saw some – decent things when I went back, but obviously nothing like last week where we thought, you know, we thought it wasn't good and you turn around and it was, it was actually pretty decent this week. Not the case. I mean, you've got guys, uh, lunging and flailing and things like that. CJ Thorpe, I'm not sure I've seen him play worse. And, and that's, uh, certainly concerning. Um, you know, it, it, you look at this unit and you think that, you know, with the experience, with the, the, the supposed talent level, they, you know, they should be better. And you go against an Ohio State front that really is is supposed to be maturing. Now, they were better than, than I expected, especially in the interior. But at the same time, I mean, you just got you, you got pushed around. You saw against Indiana, you saw a unit that was, you know, going in the same direction, opening these little seams and things like that. And you thought, OK, this is progress. This is what we expected to see under Phil Troutwine, and, and then all of a sudden Ohio State sort of blows it up. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. And I think not only that front four for Ohio State, but those linebackers were kind of the difference in what they tried to do because you're moving guys around, um, you know, on the defensive front and you've got you've got that defensive end uh, reading the read option or the, the RPO or whatever Penn State decides to do at that point. And then you kind of weave a, a linebacker in behind them and Penn State really struggled with that. So um, just moreover, uh, just – they were out physicaled and and at the same time out schemed and I think that that's probably uh, that's the toughest one to handle to swallow because you've got to you you know you usually would like to have one or the other especially if you have an under under talented roster there so just up front uh, just not a ton encouraging and again it's Ohio State I think this is probably going to be a situation where this offensive line will get better but they're not going to have a chance to play in Ohio State so you know in in December when they're playing Rutgers and if they have a great game nobody's going to care because they didn't take care of business in the second game of the year. No offense to you. Um, but uh, the, the, I think that's probably the the arc that we're going to see these guys on. Litmus tests in a lot of ways when Penn State encounters Ohio State this year. Spent a lot of time talking about the, the difference in quarterback play and the effectiveness there. But to me, one thing that stood out from the press box was the offensive line just not asserting itself and, and, and oftentimes being blown off the ball. Um, that, that's a problem for Penn State in this matchup in particular. And this is the matchup that is going to determine whether you, on an annual basis, have a route to the Big Ten championship game and ultimately the college football playoff. Uh, See, going, the, sorry, before you get to the thing about that is. In games that we've seen, and I know Chase Young had his day last year and was phenomenal, but just looking back to last year, you didn't get the overwhelming physicals, you know, just the overpowering physical sense that Ohio State just just dominated Penn State last year, even in Columbus. Um, and, and going back to these matchups, I don't, I'm not sure it's as prevalent. You, last year, we're looking at the difference between Sean Clifford and Will Levis, of course, and and Justin Fields, and then the receivers for Ohio State. So you really weren't focused on the line of scrimmage as much outside of Chase Young versus Will Fries, and we all know how that turned out. This year, it's, I think it's kind of the opposite. We expected, you know, the, and those receivers were great. Justin Fields was elite. I mean, no, no doubt about it. But this was just a, a dominant effort by Ohio State on both sides of the line, and that's that's scary when you think about how you know what Ohio State's going to go on to try and do and to win a national championship. This seems like a more complete team, even though they're still maturing and, and just sort of coming along on the front of, of both sides. 
I think you make a good point. Last year, though, uh, tough to gauge because you didn't see them trying to really do much with the passing game. You had an incapacitated Clifford because of where he was physically. And Will Levis was basically asked, asked to be a Wildcat quarterback in that game. But I'm pointing to the 17 and 18 games. There were several first downs to pick up that would have iced those games. And we all focus on what JT Barrett did and what Dwayne Haskins did in those late fourth quarters. I often think about what the offensive front failed to do against Ohio State's defense and keeping their offense on the field, whether it was a Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley backfield or a Trace McSorley, Miles Sanders backfield. That's a lot of talent and that's an inability to move the chains and keep those quarterbacks off the field for Ohio State. So I guess that's also what I'm going back to when I think about this offensive front in this particular particular matchup. But if we can move on to the perimeter, Sean, there has been a development, another true freshman in a starting role at wide receiver. Keandre Lambert now joins Parker Washington and junior Jahan Dotson in the starting lineup. Uh, James Franklin saying on Tuesday that Cam Sullivan Brown is quote available, um, but because of his circumstances, which we are still pretty unclear of, and because of what they've seen from Keandre Lambert over the course of training camp and into practices and now through a couple of games, it made the decision for them. Um, Cam Sullivan Brown, a little bit of action on special teams late in the game against Ohio State. That's it. No offensive rep so far. He was the first teamer. We've talked about this several times. Um, but to me, th- we've talked about the youth movement. Jahan Dotson has stepped up and been that number one guy, a third-year player who's played a lot of, uh, of reps. Parker Washington has shown why there's a lot of excitement about him through two weeks. And and I know that the numbers aren't gaudy at this point uh, when it comes to Keandre Lambert, a couple catches in both games, uh, humble uh, amounts of yardage. But this is a kid that I've, I've talked about a lot on this podcast from an attitude, from an athletic standpoint, felt like he was tailor-made to come to town and, and, and assert himself. And it's kind of come to fruition, Sean. We, we The veterans would have their shot, but these kids were coming, these two in particular. Daniel George is taking a backseat. Cam Sullivan Brown, for whatever is going on in his life and, and on this team, he's taking a backseat. And TJ Jones has not been able to take a step as a redshirt freshman. And these true freshmen are taking advantage. We thought these true freshmen would get there. I think it came a little bit quicker than we expected. So, uh, you know, good for them. And I think that they showed that they, you know, they belonged out there and they, you know, I don't think the moment was too big for these guys. They were in at the end of the game. Of course, Daniel George started the game, did not get a target, but I mean, they, they look ready to roll with these freshman guys and John Dotson and Given the results, I mean, we did all that hand wringing all year, all off season long about the, the the receiver position, and now it's it's not very deep, and you know you, you've got differing aspects, and maybe you don't have the six four guy that's going to go up or whatever, but you got Pat Fryermuth for that. Um, but for all the hand wringing we did about those receivers, I mean, you kind of feel better about them than anybody else coming out of that Ohio State game. It's, I mean, credit to Taylor Stubblefield there. We talked about last episode bringing Anthony Ivey on board and, and the job he's done on the recruiting trail. I think so far you're pleased with the results. They're, they're not as apparent when we look at the job Kirk Scirocco is doing or the job Phil Troutwine is doing and really to this point what John Scott is doing. But I think they're they're quite more, they're more tangible because of, of what Tyler, Taylor, the receivers have done and what Taylor Stubblefield has been able to do with these young wide receivers. It's been a while since a, tr- a true freshman showed up on the scene and, and did this kind of thing for Penn State state at wide receiver, uh, much less two of them, and, and they'll get their chance against Maryland. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith was actually the top-rated member of that five-player receiver recruiting class that came to town. One other note on the receiver depth chart, Malik Mega makes his debut on the 3DP swaps in for Jahan, uh, for Jaden Dotton, who enrolled early, also a true freshman. So now Mega, uh, the product of uh, Quebec, is now a number three guy, and he is that kind of big-bodied frame, freak speed. We think he might have a bright future 
Don't know if we'll see anything from him this year, but just something of note there. These young wide receivers are going to be prevalent for Penn State in 2020 um, and beyond. We've got some thoughts on the defensive side of the football coming up in just a moment, and we've also got our mailbag and some recruiting conversations, some really impressive performances from Penn State commitments, including uh, their future quarterback out of Central York High School. Stay with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We spent a lot of time just now talking about some offensive issues and also some offensive uh, promise for Penn State. Let's look at defense for a little bit. Um, James Franklin pointing out that he felt like former five-star linebacker Brandon Smith took a step forward against Ohio State, maybe found his way a bit. He was uh, lost in the shuffle, to say the least, at Indiana, did not end up in the box score, uh, played the fewest snaps out of any defensive player uh, that started that matchup. Different story here. He had the big wallop on J- on Justin Fields, probably the, the biggest defensive statement that they served up over the course of the night against Justin Fields. Um, he's, he was involved. He's, you can see it in the body language, I felt like. And, and Brandon Smith, You know, if, th- if that comes together for him over the course of this season, maybe he is by the end of the year where people had hoped he would be just coming off the bat and being uh, the the replacement for Micah Parsons as the superstar of this linebacker core. Long way to go, but Sean, uh, it sounds like you would concur with with James Franklin that this kid made some strides in, in a big spotlight. I would say take a step would be accurate here. I mean, you look at what he was able to do, especially as a blitzer. He had the big hit on fields, but you know when they've got him attacking, he's in a, you know, a lot better. You know, I, I, I I'm curious. If he sticks there at that same spot, because it seems they want some length out there. They did with Cam Brown a a year ago, but I I still like him a little bit as a box guy. Um, So I I think the jury's still out, but I did see some nice things. He had that bad penalty with the late hit, but um, yeah, I think he did. I think he did okay. And given where we're grading Penn State's linebackers right now, okay is is pretty decent. So I think that that group as a whole needs to be better. I think Smith's a huge part of that. I think Lance Dixon showed that you know he's got some some nice tools to work with, but he's he's not ready physically to to sort of hold up in the box there. Ellis Brooks. I mean, he's got to he's got to lean on those instincts a little bit more because if he's if he's second guessing himself, he's beat, and that's that's that was a tough thing, especially early in the game. Uh, speaking of early in the game, I mean, you look at that that, that jet sweep, and it looks like Brandon Smith's probably the only guy that did his job uh, and turned that play back inside, and and that's you know that's <laughs> that's grading on a curve for sure. But yeah, I did, I did think we saw a couple of flashes from Brandon Smith that, you know, kind of make you a little bit more hopeful moving on, especially for for a group that really needs it. You'd think he had uh, more chances to flash against Maryland with an athletic advantage uh, over the course of that matchup. We'll see if, if he can carry that confidence um, that seems to be growing for him. We had a phone call with him last week, and despite a lackluster opener against Indiana, I, there's just a different confidence, a different uh, different air about Brandon Smith and the kid I remember speaking with throughout his recruitment, even though he was a, a highly, highly acclaimed uh, recruit coming out of high school. Um, another player uh, that just to mention here, going to the safety spot, it, it's been in focus, it feels like for several years now and, and again this year Jair Brown Franklin admitted playing more than they thought he would play for them um, I don't know if that is a statement about Jair Brown it certainly would be that he came in ready to play power five football after spending the last couple of years at Lackawanna or if that's a statement about where the safety spot is compared to where we thought it might be. Uh, Lamont Wade, by the way, remains the guy at the star position. Uh, I, I specifically asked about uh, you know the assessment there. Daquan Hardy is the only other name that James Franklin really referenced as far as the guy who's who's maybe coming along there, maybe pushing Lamont Wade for that role. But it didn't work out well for Wade against uh, Garrett Wilson uh, out of that slot against Ohio State. But it sounds you know, certainly like they're going to stick with the senior captain in that role and, and continue moving him down from safety to, to cover the slot, at least, at least for now. 
Yeah, and that's that's a tough one to watch because you just keep seeing the same things over and over again. And, you know, when you put him back and he's playing a two-deep safety, he's okay. But when you ask Wade to go out and cover that slot, I mean, Ohio State went right at him. And that's that, to me, is is something they saw on tape from the Indiana game, and I can't blame them for doing that. Garrett Wilson um, should have had a touchdown. Uh, I'm not sure if we, if we label that one on fields or on Wilson, um, but – Wade slips and, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a chance for a touchdown. So, I mean, I, I, I get that they want Lamont Wade in that situation where they, you know, they've got experience and everything like that, but it just, it hasn't come through, man. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what to say else other than, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't seem to work. He had that pass interference call, as I mentioned, it was a, a bigger play in the game than you probably would, would think. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know what to do or what the situation is going to be because you've got, you know, Marquise Wilson and Keaton Ellis and Daquan Hardy, you're going to talk about having these great corners and these freshman corners, uh, where, where, and let's be honest, Joey Porter has come through and, and done exactly what, what they hoped he would do. I think he's looked, he's looked he's very a, good. As good as build thus yeah, far. He, yes. he, he certainly is, but you you want a third corner in that spot. And that's just my opinion, but uh, that's, it just hasn't worked to date. And I know they're not going to see similar things to what they see with Ohio state and in a passing attack, like Michael Penix at, at Indiana, but still, I mean, if it's not working, you got to figure out, figure something out. Um, Marquise Wilson did come in for, for Joey Porter. And, uh, when Porter got injured for a little bit, Ohio State went right after them and had the touchdown. But, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, they welcomed them right into they, the game, they, didn't they? I, hey, man, that's what good teams do. They, they yeah, find absolutely. these matchups and they exploit them. And that's what we thought we'd see from Kirk Shiraka. But so far, there hasn't been a ton of, of variance in terms of what, uh, you know, in, in places to attack and things like that. So as that season continues, I think that they might get there. But this is what you're seeing. That's what you saw from Ohio State. Daquan Hardy, I think, played three snaps. Um, so that was, uh, kind of irrelevant. Keaton Ellis, I believe you answer or you asked James Franklin or somebody asked James Franklin about that today. Uh, unavailable for the game this week. And, you know, he's a guy that they unavailable, un- unavailable for the game against Ohio State. We don't know about this particular week against Maryland, but we, we also don't know why he's unavailable, which is, you know, that's kind of par for the course uh, when, when we have these press conferences. Yeah. He played on special teams against Indiana, did not play at all against Ohio State. And he's a guy that you talked about as a potential star, a guy in that, that slot corner Absolutely. role. And I think that that's, that's worth, uh, you know, trying to figure out what, uh, what they're going to do in that spot. Because right now, you know, as much as, as Lamont Wade can try and be a spark plug and, and get into the right spot, I mean, it's just not working in that, in that scenario. And granted, I don't, I don't know that Maryland's going to spread them out and, you know, force them to play man on, on a slot, uh, slot receiver, but Maryland's got some decent receivers. So we'll see what happens. And, and one slip and that's, that could be six. Tim Banks called Lamont Wade right before the season started the ultimate nickel. Um, you know, to this point, certainly leaving a lot to be desired. We know he's important in this locker room. He's a senior captain, second year starter, a lot to rely on, but it has not come to fruition for him at the star position. Uh, Ohio State slot receiver Garrett Wilson, 11 receptions for 111 yards. And of course, he started off the game with that 60 plus yard run. Let's turn our attention to recruiting, not something that we do as often over the course of the season, but we we touched on this last Friday, a nice pickup for the 2022 class with Anthony Ivey joining four-star wide receiver in the state of Pennsylvania. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about that 2022 class right now because quarterback Bo Prabula, Sean, the the one knock on, on his tremendous season so far is where's the competition? They've been averaging at Central York. Uh, an outcome of 59 to two during the regular season. The playoffs arrived. They took on an unbeaten opponent in Central Dolphin, and he rose to the occasion in a big way. Three touchdown throws in the first half 
followed by two touchdown runs in the second half. And running has not really been a, a big part of his arsenal over the course of this year. And that's been a nice change of pace. He was on the move a lot last year. He got banged up, missed some action for it. Hasn't needed to do that. They've buried teams early. He's thrown 27 touchdown passes. Um, but this case, 150 rushing yards. A guy that that just took the team on his back, five touchdowns. And another step forward, another, you know, kind of checking it off the list. And it was a rare territory for Central York to, to take this step. They are into the District 3 in the Class A uh, championship game. And they're, they're actually playing uh, William Penn High School, which moved there because Harrisburg, unfortunately, dealing with COVID-19 exposure. So they're into this district championship game. Uh, it, it's the first time that they will get there since 1990. So 30-year span. Bo Prabula making his mark on that program, on that school, and making Penn State fans more and more excited about what he could accomplish down the road. I feel bad for our York County listeners because every time we bring them up, we talk about how bad the football is there and it feels like we're dumping on them. And then they get into the playoffs. And usually what happens is the York County teams run into a Central Dolphin or a Harrisburg. In fact, that's what Central York has done the last two years. And they've been pretty well waxed. This year, completely different, especially when you have a quarterback making plays like Bo Perbula. Um, just phenomenal. I mean, like, honestly, like I thought the game would be close um, because of, you know, Central York has some nice pieces. But usually the offensive line, defensive line, when they run into the bigger teams from the Harrisburg area – doesn't work out well. That was not the case. Bo Prabula kind of put this team on his back, made some some pretty good plays, and and as you mentioned, he did it as a runner, which I I think that was by design in terms of the coaching staff trying to keep him protected and also at the same time trying to lull maybe potential playoff opponents to sleep when they talk about what he was able to do. In fact, I had a, I had a phone call with Brian Doan last week, and he was looking at junior tape, and he says, I, I don't know that Prabula is a dual threat guy, and I'm like... Yeah, yeah, that's wrong. He's definitely a guy that can run it. Um, they just haven't. Maybe Bo heard that too before this matchup. It, Who knows? It's very possible. They, I mean, they they didn't ask him to run. Then when they did ask him to run, he showed that athleticism. He's a four six forty kid, uh, tremendously athletic kid, and you know that's going to show out, especially on those fields where he's playing. But you take it to the next step. The you're going to probably, I think, be favored for a district championship. It's unfortunate what happened to to Nate Bruce in Harrisburg. They they you know, just scraped and clawed and got that fourth game in here, actually up here against State College, um, and then turn around and have the, the positive test and they're done for the year, which is, it's really unfortunate. But now, Bo Perbula is going to have a chance to uh, to win a district title, and and honestly, anything can really happen when you're talking about, uh, when you get into the state playoffs, especially 2020, man. I mean, that's that's where we're at, but uh, just a great performance, and, and uh, just exceeded expectations, uh, you know, decision-making, throwing the ball, running, running, just, I mean, just everything he did was pretty much right and that's uh that's a good sign because you talk about recruiting quarterbacks and sometimes you get the uh the robo qbs and the guys that you know maybe can't do some of this stuff and then some other times you get the guys that that can do that stuff that may just not have the physical tools and it seems like you know it's it's a bit of a mix of both of those guys and the, the name that you keep hearing with that with uh with Perbula is trace mcsorley and that's uh when i texted somebody that was at the game and it's not a penn state guy not a you know he's an unbiased observer he says man this kid reminds me of trace and every time you hear that you kind becoming of coming a theme isn't it yeah it, it has become a theme, a theme isn't it well if you if you put on his junior tape or excuse me his sophomore tape it's very similar to what trace did as a sophomore playing both ways doing all that kind of stuff and um yeah anytime that you can get somebody with that skill set that uh you know is a little bit bigger about six two two oh five two ten right now um can can really 
do a lot for your offense, especially if that's the the way that you're gearing this offense to go. Bo Prabula, as a high school junior, a couple inches taller, probably five, 10 pounds heavier than Trace McSorley as a second year NFL player. So a, a different kind of athlete in terms of structure, but the improvisational style, the ability to create, the ability to throw on the run. And uh, we have the, the highlights up on lines 24-7. I, I did a write-up with that on, on Tuesday afternoon. And you can see at one point he has a 60-yard sprint in the second half that really pretty much iced this game. And the athleticism is really impressive. And you you pair that up with the kind of uh, development we've seen. I, I still think, you know, you, you're going to see that arm strength develop for him. And that's going to be a facet of his, of his uh, you know, kind of dual threat ability that, that continues to expand. But the accuracy has been quite impressive this year. He's, he's over 70% in terms of accuracy. And I, I, if the max preps team site is correct for his statistics, Sean, and I believe they've done a great job keeping that updated, which we really appreciate. Um, I think he had fewer than 100 total rushing yards in the regular season where they were blowing everybody else out, really just kind of trying to get to to triple zeros by the time you get to halftime and and work your way through the second half. He had 150 in the first playoff game, so very curious to see what he looks like in the district championship. But uh, yeah, if he reminded everybody that that the wheels still work, and he did it against a defense that through their regular season had not allowed more than 13 points in a game, they had two shutouts. Did Central Dolphin over the course of their regular season? This was a game that was uh, 20 to nine at halftime, 34 to 15 through three quarters, ultimately 42 to 15. Bo Perbula takes the win. He's not the only Penn State commit who has made a noise in the play. Playoffs. Liam Clifford, a recent guest here on the podcast, right before his playoff journey began, uh, came up huge. Touchdown to go ahead in their latest playoff matchup at St. Xavier High School in Cincinnati uh, to keep their season moving forward. He's trying to match his older brother, Sean Clifford, who got that state championship ring as a senior at St. Xavier. And Clifford, it wasn't one of those 300-yard games that he had earlier this year, but uh, came up with the biggest play of the game. Touchdown with, I believe it was 25, 30 seconds left in that matchup in a 10-7 victory over Lakota West. And I'm pulling up that playoff bracket now. That was the regional semifinals. So they are, or that was the regional uh, championship game, I should say. Uh, so they won their region. They're moving forward. And, and again, and another step closer to, to maybe matching Sean with the hardware. And Lakota West is a legit team. I mean, that that is a really good football team out there in Ohio. And um, Clifford came through once again, as you would hope he does, at uh, the very end. And I think St. X uh, had a couple of turnovers that, that they maybe, you know, obviously everybody would like turnovers back. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good showing for Clifford. Another step forward. He's just had a really, really good junior year showing – or, excuse me, senior year showing Showing some of that polish that we that we like about him here on the podcast, and speaking of which, um, that receiver class it seems to be on the mm. way up. I mean, uh, Liam Clifford picked up that four star from twenty four seven Sports uh, earlier in the fall. Lonnie White, the other commitment, he's a guy that uh, you know seems to be going way up. Brian Doan went and saw him play a couple weeks ago. I encourage you to check out his words and in, in, in the video from watching Lonnie White. This kid has the uh, potential of a big-time athlete. You, you don't want him to be too big-time because that might uh, bring some MLB draft things into play, but he's uh, he's a terrific player, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you, I think we talked about this in the last show last week, is, you know, the, that receiver recruiting seems to be rounding into form after a slow start for Taylor Stubblefield. If that's the duo you're going to go with, the two guys after signing five of them last class, that's a really nice pair and 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 Brian Doan um, had, had some rave reviews for Lonnie White I think Brian's been beating that drum for a while and, and was in, influential in getting that four star yeah Brian Brian was the guy that got him the four star mm-hmm. to begin with he liked him a lot and he likes and him even more now it sounds like 
Yeah, it does. It does. And he was a, you know, a quarterback last year. So we really didn't get the feel of, of what, uh, you know, he could bring to the table. But, uh, I think he had two touchdowns, an interception, just did a little bit of everything. And that's, uh, in addition to his explo- exploits as a multi-sport athlete, uh, we love the basketball clips. The baseball obviously speaks for itself. Um, but Lonnie White, man, just, uh, in terms of being an all around athlete, they don't come much better in Pennsylvania. And uh, from that wide receiver group to the next one, which, again, added Anthony Ivey last week, a four-star. He was preceded in that class by, well, everyone was, the initial commitment for 2022, Caden Saunders. Unfortunately, his journey in the Ohio State playoffs uh, came to an end last weekend. But uh, Steve Wiltfong this time chimed in a little bit on Saunders' development over the course of his year. Another guy who who was already a four-star, but he got a major bump into the top 100 overall in the the top 20. 24-7 uh, for the 2022 class and 47 receptions, 958 yards. That's more than 20 yards per catch, 13 touchdowns for Westerville South. And remember, those big numbers are coming in a, in a shortened season, um, just like every state. So Caden Saunders went out and, and just about uh, you know, more than doubled his production from the year before. If you look at the touchdowns, tripled the production from the year before. Exactly the kind of step forward you were hoping for if you're the Penn State coaching staff. And this is a kid who, despite his lack of proximity to campus, has been coming back, has been doing the peer recruiting deal. And Anthony Ivey was a part of that. And this is turning out to be a really big win to start off their 2022 recruiting class. Yeah, he was one of those guys that was in town over the weekend to watch the game. Um, he's been active in recruiting and, you know, obviously this, the year that he put up, I mean, when we talked about him as a commitment, you saw, you know, the speed and the balance and all that kind of stuff, but the production was kind of, and, you know, he got hurt as a sophomore. So, uh, he really stepped it up as a junior and, and was just phenomenal. So, um, yeah, that's the thing. You just keep, you, you look at these guys, um, you know, the, the commitments in both classes, 2021 and 2022, and you look at what they've been able to do. Uh, another big game for Anthony Ivy, I think six catches. Um, four of them went for touchdowns, 200 and some yards. I think a fifth one got called back. Um, so, you know, he's, he's certainly has a little bit of weight off his shoulders after committing to Penn State last week. And now apparently he's putting it to, uh, to, to work on the field. So yeah, just, uh, it's positive signs. And it, and here's the thing. Stats don't mean as much as people want them to, you know, it's just, it's not a even playing field across all these high school divisions and states and all that kind of stuff. So stats are, are one piece of the puzzle. But when you've got guys that are out there like that, putting up numbers like that against pretty good competition, as I mentioned, Clifford played Lakota West is really good. Um, those Ohio playoffs that Westerville's in right now are Westerville just got bounced out right now. Uh, very good for Caden Saunders. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, it's certainly the, the results that you want to see. There's only so much you can take away from it, but it's the results that you want to see with these guys finally getting to play some football. Yeah, sometimes you have guys that put up insane statistics, but they don't have the measurables. They don't have the projected ceiling that's going to place them in a Power 5 football program. And then you have some guys who have all the insane testing numbers and their athletes through the roof, and they do absolutely nothing on the football field. And you wonder if they can become true football players. When you can marry those two, and we've seen Caden Saunders do that in a big way during his junior season, that's a great step forward. And, and, And Liam Clifford is no slouch when it comes to athleticism either. Major production for him over the course of his entire high school career now as a senior. And we talked about the true true freshman stepping into the starting lineup for Penn State. 
A lot of excitement brewing long-term for for what they've got at that position. Plenty to prove on the field in-game action for the Nittany Lions, but you like what you see brewing for Taylor Stubblefield and the Penn State offensive staff. Uh, Going back to the 2021 class, Sean, um, uh, we always tread lightly when we make that transition from 2022 to 2021 because it's been very different circumstances of late and, and, and the type of conversations we've had, but not done quite yet. Derek Davis... The big fish, the name everybody knows, the first overall offer in 2021. Uh, you said we got to bring his name up. Why did we have to bring his name up? Well, I mean, he's, he's set to decide on Saturday on uh, CBS HQ. Um, that's time. It, it's been said it's in the afternoon. It's kind of a work in progress right now. But Penn State, Ohio State, LSU. He visited LSU with his mother over the weekend. It was a trip that I really wasn't sure that he was going to make, but played on Friday night and then went down there and checked things out uh, on Saturday. Um, yeah, I could still see this being a toss-up. Uh, you know, it felt great where Penn State was a couple of weeks ago. Then all of a sudden he goes and visits Ohio State. Uh, he goes and visits. LSU, and that's uh, you know certainly a wrench to throw into plan. So I still think it's either Penn State or Ohio State. I, I know that uh, you know he, I, as far as I'm saying right now on Tuesday afternoon, um, he hasn't made a decision yet. But uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those ones that we keep plugging away with all week long. And I still think it's going to come down to Penn State or Ohio State. And this should not be a prisoner of the moment type of commitment. He has held off on making a decision a long time. Has Derek Davis? He could have made this choice two years ago if he wanted to. Offers uh, all over the place as a high school freshman now here he is uh senior year coming up to to uh to early enroll he plans to enroll early i have that correct right uh yes he's been in an early yeah. early which so he'll is- be he'll be somewhere on a college campus very soon and he's he's used a lot of his allotted time here i mean this is a kid who who had, had didn't rush into into a decision so again i i know people are probably concerned about penn state's zero two they just lost to ohio state how does that look this kid has a very long sample size of, of the schools he should be considering. I think he should make a pretty educated decision for his own purposes, but it shouldn't be a prisoner of the moment type of thing where a kid gets a bunch of offers late, couldn't visit anywhere, and has to pick a school out of a hat, essentially. Yeah, he's been to Ohio State, I think, 10 times. He's probably been to that uh, to Penn State that many times as well. I, you know, and that's one of those situations where he's been, I mean, I remember talking to him in the spring where he just wanted, that's all he wanted to do was take visits, check out Georgia and LSU and USC and go out and see all these schools and just never came about. And and that's honestly one reason that I was kind of surprised that he took this LSU visit because he had all that time to do it and then didn't. It's kind of the same with Ohio State. But uh, yeah, this is one that you felt really good about for Penn State a couple of weeks ago. And Given the way that the 2021 cycle is gone, I mean, is there confidence there? I mean, maybe, but it's just this thing has happened so many times. It's, you know, fool me once, etc. So I, I just, uh, then we're going to keep plugging away on it all week and see what we can dig up because this is, uh, certainly one that's going to come down to the wire and, and, and it's a huge one for Penn State. And, you know, the, they're trying to push it across the line. You might be wondering, okay, well, if Derek Davis doesn't pick Penn State, or if he does pick Penn State, who else is out there? Who else do we need to know? Signing day, now, what, six, seven weeks away from, from where we're currently discussing this this class, and uh, it's going to be a small class. We've discussed that ad nauseum, uh, but, you know, a couple topical discussions here at positions that, that we've been, you know, looking at one way or the other, defensive tackle, running back. Marcus Bradley, a former Maryland commit, he opens his commitment, told Brian Doan he heard from a bunch of Power 5 programs very quickly. He's a four-star defensive tackle in the top 24-7. 
And he's got uh, Penn State involved there, at least engaged in discussions. And then a 2021 running back uh, of interest, perhaps. That's a position that we kind of a while ago set aside and said, you know, maybe you focus in on the 2022 class. He just signed a couple four-star prospects in each of the past two cycles of that position. I'm going to throw both of those subjects your way and, and see how you want to parse through it, Sean. Well, it's a good time to check out. I mean, it's it's last uh, last part of the season. You know, usually as we approach December, or excuse me, we approach signing day in December. So it's kind of getting around to these flips, these potential flips, and that's really where you're going to focus a lot of your energy right now. Um, you can't bring these guys on an official visit or any or you know really anything. Um, so it's it's tough to sort of balance that between your current targets, which there aren't a ton out there, to be honest with you, and those guys that you potentially want to flip. I still think that they're in it, you know, uh, with uh, some, uh, excuse me, they're in it with a a couple of guys that are early names that maybe could be circling back around. That's a tough line to walk because they already said no to you once. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know what's changed in terms of uh, maybe guys are watching the offense, guys are watching the receivers and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's just a very, very tight rope to walk. Going back to what you said, going after a running back is interesting because obviously Donovan Edwards has been the guy for a long time. They sort of uh, cooled off a little bit on Amari uh, Daniels down in Florida. He committed to Texas A&M uh, last, or over the weekend. Um, so, you know, you're kind of looking out and seeing this. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation in the field where you lose Journey, you lose Noah Kane, you're down to three running backs where all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, we could skip because we have all this talent, this depth and all this kind of stuff um, in this 20, uh, excuse me, in this roster right now. But then all of a sudden, two of those guys get hurt, and it doesn't look so good. So maybe circling back around, seeing if you can get one of those guys that you could probably label as a best player available, best athlete available, and go from there. So I think that that's kind of the line that they're walking right now. So obviously, they don't have too ma- too many uh, spaces left. Still looking for an offensive tackle. Wouldn't mind another receiver. Um, figuring out what's going on with Derek Davis, and of course, defensive end and defensive tackle remain on the board as well. So uh, obviously, there's there's more positions there than they have spots. But at the same time, you gotta you know fill up that target board to give yourself a little bit more wiggle room because, as we mentioned, the hit rate in this 2021 class just hasn't been there. A cycle that we will never forget, although some listeners may want to, and it's a cycle that is essentially going to merge eligibility-wise with that 2022 class that just came in, uh, which featured 25 true freshmen, down one now, so 24 true freshmen in that class. They're still going to be freshmen next year, no matter how much they play, so a lot of freshman eligibility uh, on this roster for 2021. This group is going to be a part of it, and in some cases, they're going to be a part of it in a matter of two months at, at this stage. We're going to get into our five-star mailbag, which you can contribute your question to. Throw it our way on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate all of them. Uh, been a little bit of a negative trend for, for some questions and the tone lately, which we understand. But we're going to what? end on, the, on a on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, at least at least we don't pick them from our from our Facebook page because that would be really dangerous territory. But Ooh. let's let's jump into our mailbag on a positive note here because we've got one about that 2022 class that we just discussed, and here goes. I'm excited about the 2022 recruiting class, but signing day for that class is still a long way away. What stands out most about this group so far, and is it built to last? So, uh, yes, I I think it's built to last if you have the expectation that, you know, you're going to lose guys eventually, you know, just in terms of like one or two guys, something like that. You've got guys from 
Wisconsin and Georgia and just kind of all over the place. So outside of those Pennsylvania guys and, um, you know, you've got the, the potential for a guy jumping ship later on is certainly there. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you got to open yourself up because this is recruiting these days and you're going to get to March and April if they start allowing visits and maybe a guy pops up on another campus. You're just going to have to prepare yourself mentally for that. But what I love about it is you've got this sort of strength in numbers. And, and I think we've talked about this on the, on the podcast many times that you didn't have in the 2021 class. So you kind of get that comfort level with some of these guys like Saunders has been around for a while. You get comfortable. You get a guy like Anthony Ivey that knows Bo Perbula and, and just sort of keeps spreading it through there. And that's something that Penn State didn't have in the last cycle. And you lose guys like Dante Thornton. You lose guys like Nick Elksness because, you know, you just look around and you don't have your peers. And, and I think Penn State can still continue to add to that. You know, you add a guy like Makai Flower. You know, you look at what's out there and and these guys are very present, and it's it, it's weird to say you know 2022 is is a long way off for signing day, but they're very present. They're very up on uh you know stock up on Penn State right now, and I think that's really going to help. And and I don't know that there's you know you can single out one guy as a leader in this class, but Drew Shelton's been doing it. Caden Saunders has been doing it. Ken Talley was up last weekend. He's he's kind of doing it. So kind of taking that lead. Whereas in the 2021 class, you've got Tangwall, but that's not, you know, that's not the the banner carrier for peer recruiting and things like that. I mean, he's he had his targets and his guys, but it didn't really come out as well as you would hope. So I think you can spread some of that leadership around. You've got your quarterback in the class. He's doing really well. Um, and I think that that's important too. When you can point to a guy um, that you're, you know, your quarterback's a guy that you build a class around Typically, if you can point to a guy and say, hey, this is the way that he's progressing. This is the way that things are going. He's winning championships. He's doing great things. I know he's the lowest rated player in the class, but look at this dude can play. I think that's going to help as well. So, And then on top of that, you stack some positions. You got two receivers. You got two tight ends. Um, keeping things on the offensive side of the ball right now is you know, kind of where you want to build up some of that momentum. So I think some of those other positions will come. Um, I think continued in-state progress will will certainly help with that and places around in this region. But I think just, I mean, just tons more optimism with this 2022 class. Um, not saying guys won't drop out, you know, later and uh, a guy or two might uh, end up somewhere else. But at the same time, that's recruiting. And you kind of you kind of got to go into it expecting that. This doesn't feel like fool's gold. And there's some classes across the country. Annually, a tradition is that Miami Hurricanes build this great class early on and it falls apart over time. This doesn't feel like that. There's so much. There's a local presence, which is great, but there's a closeness to this group that it may sound strange considering they have not been, uh, they've done so much virtually compared to a lot of other classes that would get together over a course of a cycle at camps, at Lash Bash, at games, all that different stuff. But I've been really impressed just man for man that we've spoken with, really. I mean, even Jerry Cross. I mean, this, this is a kid who seems so invested on social media in the conversations he's having with other prospects. He's up in Milwaukee. He has not been to Happy Valley yet. Like, so for that kid to be as invested as he is stands out. But I think really the separating factor for me. He's not the guy who's on social media, but he's doing it behind the scenes. He's communicating is Bo Perbula. Uh, it's the first time they've had a quarterback on board in a class that's th that I'm thinking will stick around. But at this early in the cycle, since Sean Clifford committed in that 2017 recruiting class, and he happened to live in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
to have a kid here, uh, you know, just a couple hours away from campus. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of those in-state prospects are, are within an hour, two hours of, of, of a car ride for him. He knows a lot of them from just training during the offseason. Uh, perhaps he's played some of them, and, and that will continue. I think his profile will grow. This playoff run is going to be great uh, for Penn State and, and kind of getting the word about Bro Perbula and what they have cooking at quarterback for the future. That's an important thing. And I think next year he'll get a chance to go on the camp circuit if, if the whole reality of this pandemic situation allows it. I anticipate he'll be a guy who's involved with that Elite 11 pursuit. And he, he'll be someone who whose national uh, national recognition will grow. And that always helps to have that guy as your flag bearer at, at that position is just different. It, it just is. And because of the way these cycles have worked out for Penn State, whether it's getting guys from far away, like last last year with Micah Bowens, but that was later in the cycle too. He was already beyond his junior year, um, and 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 you had to come and get Will Levis, kind of snatch him up uh, as a as a late riser toward the end of his junior year. That was a different circumstance. And, and Taquan Roberson in, in New Jersey, kind of a, a quiet demeanor kid, you know. And Michael Johnson Jr. out of Oregon. So this to me shapes up as you got him on board early. He's the in-state kid. He already seems to know a bunch of your top targets and some of them very closely. That's paid off with Anthony Ivey. That, to me, stands out as a separating factor from what I've seen Penn State putting together some of the other recent recruiting cycles. Um, now, they're going to need to win on the field. They're going to need to get it done and, and show that they're building towards something special uh, with, with the roster they have right now. But I think this 2022 class is built to last. And and that's a good question because at this stage, it's easy to get excited about the names and the rankings. But you just want to know, well, what's it going to look like 14 months from now? I think they've got a foundation that sticks, uh, barring any kind of major coaching staff changes at Penn State and to me that that conversation starts with a guy like Rabula and I, and I really continue to say maybe Ken, da- Ken Talley can can do something for you in Philadelphia and I don't just mean for this cycle maybe him Dion Barnes create a new wrinkle in your recruiting structure and what you're able to do in that area because I think that is vital for Penn State as well. To me, I look at this as you're bridging the gap between not being able to have visits and then potentially next spring being able to have visits. And if you can do that and slot some commits in there and get yourself some momentum, some juice, when you're able to get those guys back on campus, they're more likely to want to check things out. So I think that's something that you can do to get these guys going. I mean, we talk about these uh, this, these seven guys and one of them, Jerry Cross, has not been to campus yet. But at the same time, he's been one of your more vocal leaders. He's been one of those guys that you think you know you have pretty good faith that he's going to get out when he can. So um, Saunders has been here multiple times. Probula, of course, grew up here. Anthony Ivy, you know, you just go on. The closer you build it to home, I think the more. Um, I guess the the greater chance you're you're going to have of having this opportunity to host your these top guys when it gets to the spring when you can get these guys back on campus. So there's some positivity, I think. I, hopefully, I can take that away. We started off with some Ohio State breakdown. We end it with a, a look toward the future. So pretty well-rounded episode, Sean, to bring it full circle now. Um, and we're going to talk about Maryland, that matchup on the horizon for Friday. A- as much doom and gloom vibes as you're maybe hearing or feeling around Happy Valley right now with this program at 0-2. Still a 20-plus point favorite against Maryland uh, after beating Minnesota. We're going to talk about 
why maybe you should reassess what a win over Minnesota in 2020 means versus what it may have meant last year. We'll talk about the the new quarterback in place who comes in, as James Franklin said, comes in hot uh, off of the last performance. Uh, and, and what does Penn State need to do to put their foot to the gas pedal and put together a complete performance? All going to be on the table for our upcoming uh, game preview episode. Anything else to add, Sean, as we move on from Ohio State, move towards Maryland, and uh, again, buckle up for that Derek Davis decision. Nope, that should be it. A uh, nice quick episode that we managed to keep under an hour. Um, <laughs> right, sorry about right. that, but uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so uh, thank you for uh, for listening, and yeah, we'll catch you on the second episode this week. All right, this is Lions 24-7 Podcast. Drop your question for the mailbag on Apple Podcasts, and on behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Talk to you real soon.